We need to talk about the motherhood penalty. A penalty that only mothers pay when they become parents. A penalty that strikes your lifetime earnings, your retirement savings and your career. A penalty that for me took me by surprise and off-ramped my first career. My name is Emma McLean and in this series we're going to do just that. We are going to talk all about the motherhood penalty. Get curious about the system that creates it and talk to experts about what we can do to smash it. It's going to be practical, punchy and peppered with laughter. A little like me. If this sounds good to you, let's get into it. Welcome to How to Smash the Motherhood Penalty, a podcast where we get curious about this thing called the motherhood penalty, curious about the system that creates it, and curious about the solutions that are going to smash it. Today, I am delighted to have Tanya Demet here. Tanya is a legend, and she runs Kogo, a research agency she founded 10 years ago and is also a co-founder of a fantastic change-making organisation, Project Gender, a feminist innovation studio delivering radical change through insights, research, campaigns, products and services. Project Gender was recently instrumental in getting a national women's health strategy into legislation and now policy. After hearing from thousands of women across New Zealand about their challenges, accessing healthcare and partnering with health professionals on a massive campaign. No small feat. And she's just been doing a few things with her life so far and I can't wait to find out what's going to come next. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you for giving us your time. I am so looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> Kia ora, Emma. Thanks Kia ora. for having me. <laughs> you are very welcome. Why don't we start off? I mean, I've given you, I've given Ooh. everyone the formal bio, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and okay. your story so far. Well, I guess I had a pretty weird career, quote unquote. My first office job wasn't until I was 39. <laughs> She's a late bloomer, <laughs> oh, everyone. Very much a late, <laughs> late bloomer. Yeah, I worked in restaurants all through my 20s and then decided when I was aged about 27, 28, that maybe I still had a brain somewhere lurking in there and went back to uni to do my master's in public policy and then just became that archetypal mature student. Uh, you know, I really, really loved it, took to it like a, a duck to water and started doing my PhD and then lecturing in gender and policy, loving it, publishing and, and just doing the whole kind of academic track was, was where I was headed. But then I had too many children. <laughs> And really needed to go and start bringing some money into the into the family coffers. So first office job was at age 39, and I was an economic consultant, of all things, for about four years. Was made redundant, which was, you know, as often turns out to be the case, one of the best things that happened to me, and formed my own yeah, research and evaluation agency back in 2014, Kojo. Mm. And that's just been, you know, a dream ride for me. I've got to work with the most incredible clients and organisations working broadly across social change areas, mm. working in family violence, disability, youth mental health, uh, gender equity, but also it's my own agency. So, mm. you know, we'll do all sorts of things, you mm. know, um, including, you know, dirty old market research every now and again to, mm. to keep 
the revenue coming in to, to help fund all the stuff that perhaps doesn't pay as well, to be quite honest. Mm. And then, yeah, a few years ago, I was asked by Angela Meyer to join her in founding the Gender Justice Collective with nearly 25 other women and feminist organisations across Aotearoa. So, you know, YWCA, the aunties, uh, all sorts of other agencies uh, to bring about a gender lens across the election. You know, in that stage it was 2020. We did this massive piece of research called the You Choose 2020, where we looked at what women, wahine, trans, intersex and non-binary people wanted from our political parties leading into the election. And from that work, we identified healthcare, access to healthcare as being one of the biggest issues for women equitable access and then uh, went on to run a huge campaign advocating for a national women's health strategy together with you know so many incredible medical professionals and thousands of women joining us and yeah we're successful in eventually in getting that included in the Piora legislation and now is a formal policy the national women's health strategy so that's been pretty cool. Sounds like you've been smashing systems. Well, it's a start. Mm. Um, policy is great to have that in place, obviously, but we want to see what comes out next in terms mm. of substantive actions to give life to that to that policy and to that strategy. So as Project Gender, we'll be keeping a very close eye on that. Mm. Amazing. A life that, you know, when I hear you talk that back, permission to trust yourself, to know what you want to do on your journey, to change your mind, to do what you need to do for your family, but to be led by stuff that matters to you. Yeah, I feel really, really lucky. And I have met some incredible people along the way and who have, I guess, given me those opportunities. But yeah, I've been, I've been really fortunate. Yeah. Well, you make your own luck, my friend. Yes. Well, there think, is that. I, I mean, my kind of saying is say yes to everything, not heroin. Definitely don't say yes to heroin. Um, but <laughs> Cut that out. No. <laughs> <laughs> but say yes to everything. Yeah. And, and just put yourself out there. Nice. And, and be brave. Like most people, I, you know, started off my career kind of hiding in the loos at networking events, terrified. Of what yeah. I was yeah. Say. Like just, yeah. Yeah. Just, I just really was a fish out of water. Yeah. I just didn't know how to kind of conduct myself in a corporate environment. I mm. felt, yeah, just felt like it was all so fake. And then I decided I couldn't actually. So I would just be myself. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant advice. Yeah. Just be yourself. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I just, I wouldn't have lasted. Awesome. So kicking into it, when I say the words motherhood penalty, what do you think of? So I think motherhood, it means a vastly different thing to fatherhood, right? Motherhood comes with so many responsibilities and obligations, and it's a wonderful thing, obviously, but it's also an incredibly constraining thing potentially as well because of the way society is set up around paid work and what we expect women as mothers to to be responsible for. And I think that's something that that I certainly noticed in my own life and with my relationship with my partner at that point when I became a mother. I felt like I had gender equity as a, a youngish woman, you know, in the sort of late 90s. But it's really not until you become a mother that you sort of see how suddenly you're kind of like, 
diverted into this completely different track. And a lot of it's actually, I think, well, for me, you know, it was internalized as well. You know, like, mm. I don't know what happened to me. I kind of I started wearing pastel pink and <laughs> far out, started taking an unhealthy interest in Tupperware. <laughs> I mean, always, I had, always had a packet of raisins in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's just more this kind of like I thought I had to kind of like be, you know, be this particular way. Mm. But of course, it's around, yeah, that whole you default to this position where you are, you are the one that is responsible for looking after those children, for mm. making all the caregiving decisions around the children and by extension the home. And at times I felt like I'd, I was kind of morphing into a 1950s housewife. Mm. And bear in mind, I'd been a really strident feminist my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know what was happening to me. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Beautiful articulation <laughs> of the complexities of this topic. Yeah. Right? At the same time, Motherhood can be beautiful and awful. Yeah. In fact, that is exactly what I I used to say, is that it's the best of things and the worst of things. Mm. And it doesn't need to be like that, Mm. actually. Mm. I think it's it's not the act of being a mother and caring for children, and and that's not the painful bit. It's, It's society's expectations and your partner's expectations and... All of those things, those, you know, normative gender roles that you both just fall into mm. and without question, really. Yeah. And so you have to fight against that because it's just default. Great word, default, right? I think it's a really good observation that if you are in a relationship, however well-intentioned, it's so easy for both people in a cishet relationship to fall into these gendered roles. Yeah. Even though typically the woman is also in paid work and it's kind of shocking isn't it when it happens I was surprised (laughs) (laughs) and so how do you think being a mother has impacted your career versus the father of your kid's career like how would his career have been impacted by becoming a parent and how would your career have been impacted by becoming a parent yeah, well, I don't think his was impacted at all, and I think that's probably going to be the case for most cishet couples, mm. you know, across Aotearoa for sure. I guess for me, I was self-employed. Perhaps I wouldn't have made that decision had things been different, mm. but that was the way for me to continue to be there for my kids and, and, and you know, structure working life around the ridiculous school hours, you know, and daycare hours and all of that was to have... School holidays. School holidays. Yeah, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, had I not... I mean, really, that was was my solution. Mm. So in that respect, I'm one of the lucky ones, right? I managed to make it work. It's no accident, I should say, that, you know, a lot of women become mothers and then um, start their own businesses because they have to. I mean, you know... That's actually something that is a real travesty in Aotearoa is, is the, the lack of investment in women entrepreneurs. They're, they're doing it already because of the motherhood penalty, if you like. Imagine if you could go in and, and lift those women up. That would be an incredible thing to do. Mm, it's so funny you say that because when you actually use a lens to look at how mothers are combining having a career and having a family, so many of them build their own table, yeah. start their own thing. and. As you say, I agree with you. I don't think that's an accident. No. I think that it is really hard to have a family and to have a career in the career you used to have before you became a parent. Mm. 
Yeah. So what do you think would make a difference? I mean, in, on several levels, I guess. Like I'm keen to hear from a society legislation perspective, an employer perspective, an individual mums and dads perspective. What do you think? Mm. What do you think the change we need? Starting with a real key aspect of the motherhood penalty, which is the fact that over our lifetime we earn on average around $880,000 less than men. And it's even greater if you think about Māori or Pacifica or disabled women who can add racism and ableism to the structural discrimination that they experience. That is a massive financial penalty. And the reason for that is because, yes, of the years, in fact, that many women take out of the workforce to raise children, but also to be responsible for their ongoing care, mm-hmm. you know, contracting out, if you like, mm-hmm. you know, the care of their children to uh, nannies or to caregivers or ECEs, or even just, you know, instructing their partner on this is actually needs to happen on this particular day. All of that mental load, Mm. but also the fact that women who are mothers are well overrepresented in part-time and flexible working and the, you know, the penalty, you know, the hit, the financial hit that they take as a result of that in terms of fewer hours worked, Mm -hmm. but also the fact that they're then less likely to be seen as suitable for promotion. That's another thing I think of when I think of the, the motherhood penalty. So the answers to that I feel are fairly simple, are things like ensure that part-time roles can be seen as as leadership roles, quality part-time work, that's a massive one. Yes, flexible working allows some women better access to paid work, but I think really what really needs to happen is for men to be the target of workplace policies. So, you know, I feel... Women as workers, we've done all the work, we're ready, we don't need any more women in leadership programs, frankly. We don't need to step in and step up and lean in and, you know, network. And like, we have, we've got this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really needs to happen is for, for men to start being actually enabled to take up their role as fathers and as employees. So, mm-hmm. you know, being a working dad means something vastly different to being a working mother. There is some change happening. There are some really progressive companies that are starting to realise that offering parental leave policies framed as being gender neutral isn't enough because it doesn't have gender neutral impacts. Mm. So they are actually thinking of ways to target men yeah, with their parental leave policies in the workplace. Mm. I just really love that perspective, Tanya, that, you know, how do we smash the motherhood penalty? We bring men in. Like, we invite men. We invite men to take up the part-time work in our offices to do more, to to own stuff at home, to share out that mental load. And I think that hoku, that thought of women aren't broken. I grew up, and you may have as well, during this campaign, girls can do anything. Yeah, yeah. And like we can, but we can't do everything. No. And that's kind of what ended up happening, and then that's not sustainable. And I think for women, I mean, I'm a big Eve Rodsky fan who wrote Fair Play, and she says for women to step into their power in the workplace, men need to step into their power at home. Oh, yeah, utterly. But I do think employees have got a role to play in this. Yep. 
yep. actually. And I, I, my challenge to employers is to start monitoring, you know, how many men are accessing nice. your flexible working policy provision, how many nice. are taking parental leave and actually have that as a metric for yep. gender equity in your workplace. Yeah. Is not enough uh, just to actually measure uh, where women are sitting in leadership positions because oftentimes you'll see that they either don't have children or their children are adult children and that's the only way they've been able to make that happen. And so, you know, that's not enough of an indicator. Yeah. Looking at how men are moving through your workplace and, you know, and at what life stage I think is, is going to give you more clarity and more mm. insight on that. And I think as well, as we see the innovation in paid parental leave in some of our private businesses, 26 mm. weeks paid parental leave for both parents, we need to measure that. Yeah, it's And phenomenal. we need to measure how many men are taking that. Yeah. And we need to profile it and we need to talk about it and we need to normalise it. Yeah, I think that's right. Like, let's really shine a light on those really incredible companies like Fletcher Building, for example, is, mm. is, a, is a really good one who are mm. targeting men uh, with their parental leave. Let's raise them up and allow them to show others how to do it. That is arguably a policy change that would suit more professional roles, but... You know, for, for all of our workers across the economy, you know, there are other solutions as well. So looking at school hours shifts, you know, a lot of employers will say, oh, no, you know, for example, in manufacturing, we, we just we just can't do that. It just, mm. you know, wouldn't be um, economical for us to do it. But again, pointing the way to other organisations who or companies who are doing it as, mm. as actual kind of, you know, beacons mm. um, leading the way um, is the way to go. So, for example, I know that Sea mm. Lord, and Nelson are offering school hours shifts, which, you know, they they did as a as a response to a tight labour market, but now they say that they wouldn't ever go back to doing things any other way because of the impact that they've seen and, and how it really builds an incredible loyalty amongst all of their staff. That a lot of people who aren't parents are really enjoying being able to to work in that way. And yes, it may have taken a bit of effort from a, a sort of admin scheduling perspective at the beginning, but it's absolutely paid dividends. So, you know, in the long run. So there are, it's, it's finding those real good stories actually as well. And certainly at Project Gender, we're not about <coughs> bashing people up for doing the wrong thing. We really want to actually see where the, help people see where the opportunities are. Yeah. It suits everybody to have more gender equity I love um, it. across yeah. Across no, our, it's a one, 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 one. Of course, you know, men want to actually increasingly want to be involved fathers and have better relationships with their children, particularly the younger generations coming through. Mm. And that's the other thing I'd say to employers too. You've got you know Gen Z coming through, and they are going to be singing from their own song sheet when it comes to what they're prepared to put up with in the workplace and what kind of working conditions they want. Mm. So, you know, you've got to get ready mm. for that. Yeah, amazing. Amazing uh, examples, amazing insight there. So, I mean, I, I bang on about this all the time. Where's the innovation here, right? And I love you calling out that innovation because we need more of it mm. in New Zealand. School hour contracts, term time contracts. I know it's hard to do, but nothing good was ever mm. easy. Mm. We need to look at the hard things and get them underway. And the other thing that, you know, so that's looking at what employers can do, but also, you know, other systems uh, could certainly do with some change as well. And looking at school hours, for example, is mm. a big one. So, 
we recently did a giant project called the Makomama Mangopare project looking at single parents in Aotearoa and what they need to thrive for them and their children to thrive and how they need the system to change. A very clear recommendation from that mahi was for the education system to look at school hours and potentially extending them through to you know after school uh, to ensure that all of that extracurricular kind of activity is scheduled on site at school so that those teenage kids can actually be looked after and be cared for in a safe environment because that's what a lot of our single parents were telling us is that Yes, there was childcare access issues and all of those kind of, you know, normal barriers that parents with younger children were experiencing. But actually, parents with teenagers are also finding things really, really tough. And certainly as, you know, mother of three children, (laughs) I, from my experience, you know, teenagers, you know, actually, they don't start needing you any less. They, They probably start needing you more. So that's a way that the schools can actually step up to that, but at the same time as, as helping the well-being of our, of our kids, they're also actually enabling people to actually engage in paid work. Mm. Also, you know, the starting school later for older, for older teenagers and extending the, you know, the hours that way. It just requires different ways of doing things. I think, you know, often I think a lot of organisations want to change, but they don't actually want to change anything, no. you know, and that doesn't work out that well and but I love hearing those examples because I also work with many clients who are doing amazingly innovative stuff I know ANZ has just piloted a on-site school holiday program genius why would you leave someone that does that you know you wouldn't that's incredible yeah and I mean because also I think it's layered the stuff when you're a working parent I mean I remember taking my kids to the YMCA school holiday program Mm. in Mount Albert and you leave them there and they're complaining and (laughs) moaning and crying and it's this cold big hall and they've got a little lunchbox with a mandarin in it and I don't know anyone (laughs) and what have you done to me and it actually adds to your mental load this kind of stuff you know and if there was a system that wraps around our parents you Mm. know I think it makes it so much easier to hold your course. That's fantastic that ANZ are doing that. And I think more more companies need to do that, but also investigate on-site childcare completely. Because what that also does, apart from solving that job of having to transport your children to a holiday program that they really don't want to be at, but you know what it's saying to you as an employee is that my identity as a parent is is okay here, is fine. I don't have to hide it. Whereas in a lot of the work that we've done over the years, particularly looking at DEI, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in large corporates, I hear time and time again how women have to minimise the fact that they have dependence. Unlike men, by the way, who in our research we've seen don't have to. They can talk about them till the cows come home, and everyone thinks oh, you're such a fabulous dad. (laughs) Whereas women, you know, have to to minimise that and go, yes, sure, I can be there at that 8.30 meeting, Mm. knowing that they have to do physical and mental gymnastics in order to be able to pull that one off. It's a small Tetris game that will have to (laughs) Oh, exactly, you know, and then they have to, you know, one woman told me once, she said, and then I have to glide through those doors at 8.30 like a swan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love, and we've I know, all been those swans I know, I'm, you're sweating <laughs> <laughs> with a kind I of wheat mix all over your t-shirt I used to arrive yeah. at work and sit down and feel like I'd done a whole day's work yeah. and, it's, and to your point as well, like a lot of the work when you're a working parent is not actually the physical stuff, it's the mental mm. stuff it's the convincing these kids they want to go somewhere convincing them that they're not sick and they can go to school this is exhausting work. Yeah. 
And the thing is, women are programmed to continue to do that for the their children's entire childhood because it was set up like that from mm. the beginning with the way our paid parental leave is structured in this country and the way just the whole system is set up. So my challenge in terms of legislation is to destabilise that gendered norm of men as, as earners and women as caregivers so that right from the outset there is more, I guess, opportunity, more openness for men and women to explore their different gendered roles within their context mm. as parents. Mm. Because, yeah, if you've been the, the stay-at-home main caregiver for the first couple of years, you're probably going to stay responsible for that. Yep. And yes, your partner will contribute and will be an involved parent, but most of the time, and this is what I see, is it, you're essentially contracting out your responsibility to that partner by saying, okay, so I need you to do this, I need you to do this. You're in charge. Yeah. You're, you're, you're running the schedule. Yeah, you're <laughs> the owner of that rescue. Yeah, you know, exactly. You're like, yeah. you're, you're, you're responsible, accountable. You might not actually be doing it. But again, but. I say, you know, like I'm an older lady now. I'm 52 and I have friends who are, you know, around sort of, you know, the 40 age mark and, and with young children. I have a lot of hope they're running their their households in quite a different way and certainly both parents are having more equal mm. roles and responsibilities and, and it's clear, but it's hard work. Yeah. I mean, I, I see change as well, but I want to acknowledge it is hard work and it, I also want to acknowledge that hope is not a strategy. You have to work at it. And I think that's it. I get really frustrated when I see well, all sorts of people making public pronouncements about how we have to keep focusing on gender equity and we need to you know renew our efforts to tackle the gender pay gap and then don't actually come up with a substantive action plan to make that happen yeah we need action that's I guess again where our focus is at Project Gender is uh, we don't just do the insights research to uncover the problem and then wring our hands we don't just launch a campaign to to draw awareness to a particular issue we come up with the solutions and get people to fund them and then we implement them yeah and uh that's the way I like to work anyway. Love it. Bias towards <laughs> action. Oh, yeah. So, I get so frustrated. Great point then to wrap up with. If we talk about action and if I gave you a magic wand, right, and there's one thing you could do that you think would have the biggest impact on the motherhood penalty, this penalty that, that only mums pay when they become parents, a penalty that affects your lifetime earnings, your retirement earnings, and your career. What do you think that one thing is that you think would have the biggest impact? Too easy. I've been banging on about this for over 20 years now, Mm -hmm. and it's paid partner leave. It's Mm. dedicated paid parental leave Mm. for the other parent, who in Mm. most cases is the father. Right now in New Zealand, we don't have paid parental leave. Mm. We have paid maternity leave Mm -hmm. because it's tied to women's employment, and it's her entitlement to transfer or not, as it turns out which is why only 1% of all paid parental leave, quote unquote, in Aotearoa is taken up by men. Mm. So we're one of, I think, three developed countries in the world who don't have paid partner leave. And that is really going to shift the dial, in my view, towards gender equity, because it's Again, it's dismantling that gendered mm. opposition between caregiving and earning mm. and right from the beginning. Mm. And it shows men that they are valued as fathers. Mm. Um, and it shows a woman that <laughs> it's not just on them. 
Oh, it's such a good thing to use your magic wand for. <laughs> I I agree. You know, to summarize what you just said there, paid partner leave in order to dismantle these gendered norms we have on caregiving and what the role of a dad is and what the role of a mum is and to dismantle those right at the beginning. Yeah. And that's why, you know, look, flexible working is great. Part-time work is great, although we need quality part-time work. It's all great. It allows some women some access to mm. paid work, mm. but it's a Band-Aid remedy. It's just kind of papering over the, the fundamental issue, yeah. which is that division, mm. that, that gender division between caregiving and, mm. and money earning in mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. I think we need a transformative remedy, which yeah. in my view is, is paid partner leave. Awesome. I mean, there's so much more to be done, but you said a magic wand. I only, let gave, me have one thing. I only gave you one magic <laughs> wand, unfortunately. Thank you so much, Tanya. A big mehi out to you for all your advocacy, oh. all your championing of women. Well, thank Amazing, you. amazing work that probably flies under the radar for a lot of people. Oh, but it's, thanks, you know, Emma. But, you know, all of our work starts with reaching out to mm. thousands mm. of women, wahine, trans, intersex and non-binary mm. people across Aotearoa, we wouldn't have the insights that form the basis for all of our work without the energy and time and trust and hope mm. of all of those people yeah. who, who engage with us and mm. who trust us with their stories mm, and their yeah. information. And that is, that is a privilege. And that, again, is why we are so committed to actioning the work that we do because we owe it to them. They have trusted us and we told them that we would. So we have we to need, now. We, need, we, <laughs> we told them we would listen and yeah. now we need to take action. Yeah, so, yeah. And that's a big mantle to carry, right? Yeah. So amazing. Thank you so much. Kia ora. Kia ora. <laughs> this podcast was funded by Works For Everyone, a business that is dedicated to supporting working parents and to smashing the motherhood penalty. If this is also your jam, let's stay connected. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for us, Works For Everyone. And if you want more information on how we help businesses put a care wrap around their employees, check us out on worksforeveryone.co.nz. Or if none of these work for you, in the weekends you can find me, Emma McLean, the founder of Works For Everyone, in the queue at Pack and Save Royal Oak or Kmart St Luke's. Onwards! Onwards!